When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, just like a Murillo Crossfield ball. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win? Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery free in terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport, powered by fans. Hello and welcome back to Red Side of Trent for the fan preview as we discuss this week's up-and-coming fixture with an opposition fan. This week we are joined by Palace fan Dan Cook who joined us last season. How are Dan? Are you alright? I'm good, thanks mate. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. It's uh, been a good start to Palace's season so far, would you say? Yeah, definitely. I think unexpectedly in, in many ways. You know, it's difficult, obviously to get a, a true gauge on how your team are going to do before a ball is kicked. But with Wilfred Zaha's departure and with Michael Elise's injury pre-season and, you know, a relative lack of incoming transfer business, I would suggest most Palace fans weren't particularly optimistic going into the campaign. But to have as many points on the board as we already do, you know, it's especially when you consider that we've managed to win away at Manchester United last week, you know, it just really did boost everyone's spirits, particularly after we'd obviously lost there in the League Cup a few days before. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I think that would have been a coupon buster, wasn't it, on Saturday, but let's just talk about that game. You, you obviously took a 1-0 win, uh, a wonderful finish from uh, Joachim Anderson, it's uh, said to least, but without uh, a few kind of sacrifices in there, I mean, Eberichese has been ruled out for six weeks, it's been reported, hasn't it? Yeah, so I mean, if, if you actually look at the attacking options, or at least the creative attacking options that we have. Abir Eze has been shouldering the burden going forward pretty much all season long because obviously Michael Elise is currently out after injuring himself with the French under-21s in the summer. You've got Matthias Franca that's coming from Flamengo over the summer. Uh, but, you know, even though he comes with extremely high expectations, uh, it's not a situation where we've, we've been able to see him actually strut his stuff in our colours yet. Um, we can't place too much expectation on him, but obviously when you sign a new Brazilian teenager, there is a certain degree of anticipation that comes with it. So people have been spinning their wheels in that sense. But to lose Ebbs for, as it's been reported, six weeks is obviously a major blow. And going into this game this weekend, 
I'm not 100% sure how exactly Roy Hodgson intends to set up from a, a tactical point of view. Mm. What's uh, What's been the difference between uh, this season and last season so far? I know it's a bit early to tell, but it seems like, I mean, even if you're losing games, they're, they're not they're quite narrow kind of defeats and that. But what's the major difference is obviously losing Zaha has been a, a major one, really, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, Wilf going was one of those situations that felt on one hand inevitable and on the other still a real emotional, you know, kick in the stomach because, I mean, your listeners may not be aware, but we offered him a four-year contract on £200,000 a week. So, Mm. you know, even though we didn't get a definitive answer from him one way or the other in the early parts of the summer, I think there were plenty of people that expected him to take that money given what it would have guaranteed for him over the next four years. But instead, he chose to move to Galatasaray and obviously play in the Champions League. And as we saw uh, earlier on this week, you know, he's sort of managed to get that goal against Manchester United and achieve one of his dreams there. But from a, from a tactical point of view this season, obviously the, the defensive partnership between Anderson and Gay is, is huge. It has been for the last couple of years. Jefferson Lerma coming in on a free transfer from Bournemouth in the opening weeks of the campaign, at least prior to his injury in the last international break. It gave us a real sense of stability next to Chet Decore in the base of the midfield. Uh, but we've been able to get decent results in games, despite the fact, as I just mentioned, Debir Eze is technically the only real creative attacking talent that we've had at our disposal. And, and the hope is that post-international break, both Franca and Michael Elise will be approaching full fitness and we will have a little bit more attacking thrust in terms of a creative presence. But, I mean, obviously that doesn't help us in this particular game this weekend against yourselves. Yeah, I mean, did it, did it worry Palace and, and the fan base about your transfer activity? Because, you, like you say, you only bought in Lerma, um, Franca, and then uh, Dean Henderson, Rob Holding come in late doors, didn't he? And, and, well, Dean Henderson got injured in his first game, and I can see why. I mean, a lot of Forest fans were a bit like, not they kind of ate humble pie because they moaned at the at the ownership or the recruitment team for lowballing, and then he's gone to Palace and unfortunately injured himself there. But you kind of does it worry that if like you've got all these injuries the depth is maybe not there but the, the obviously when you've got a full strength 11 it's one of the one of the you'd say it's one of the top sides in the league probably top 10 at least well i mean it's a, it's a tricky one because you know on one hand you can bemoan a lack of strength in depth below the sort of starting 11 12 13 but then i would argue that if Unless you're a European club, you can't really expect your, in inverted commas, reserves to be Premier League quality players because, and it's a bugbear of mine. You know, I often hear Palace fans, and not just Palace fans, but fans of clubs in a similar bracket to ourselves say this, that they expect, you know, top quality players to be able to come in off the bench. But it's easy to convince a top quality player to come in and play a bit part role in a European regular it's different if you're a club like a Forest or a Palace or a Wolves, where if you are getting a top quality player, they're going to be expecting to start every week because they want to put themselves in the shop window. So, you know, when you've had as many injuries as we've got, it's it's one of those situations where you sort of just have to take it, I think. You know, as, as you just mentioned, if we have a full strength squad in terms of our starting eleven and a couple of players off the bench, then it is genuinely very good and, and could be relied upon to push for a top half place. But, you know, once you get down to relying on the likes of Will Hughes or Jara Riedervold or Chris Richards or Rob Holding to slot in, 
then there is going to be a, a minor drop in quality. And that's no disrespect to them. It's just part and parcel of being a mid-table Premier League club. And with that in mind, I think Roy Hodgson is an ideal person to have in the dugout because he is such a steady hand. And he won't get carried away one way or the other. And the tactical ideology will be you know, very solid regardless of who we're coming up against from week to week. Yeah, you kind of um, go into my next point because I was going to ask you about Roy Hodgson. So last season, I remember you and I spoke about him and, and where Palace's future lies because it could be this season and then and then he actually retires again. Um, I, look, I had a look at Palace's... Um, like managers through the years, and predominantly it's British based. I didn't know. I didn't. I completely forgot Steve Copper was there for like nine years at one point yeah, in the early nineties. Four, four different spells he's had. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think uh, Hodgson's had a couple. Warnock has had a maybe one or two. I he's think he's had two. Uh, yeah, yeah, we've yeah, had a couple then, of returning managers. There's no doubt yeah, about that. And then you've had a lot. And then the two foreigners you've had have mi- failed miserably. In in all honesty, so. Uh, my question was, is Paddy McCarthy still the man that could potentially come and take over the reins as someone to slot in who's who's been there as uh, in the coaching and playing capacity? Or I've seen in the last day that Palace are monitoring Kieran McKenna at Ipswich, who are obviously taking the championship by storm since their promotion. Yeah, I mean, I know I mentioned Paddy last time and in an ideal world, you know, you, you look at a situation with a player that was our captain who's been around the football club for a number of years and coached the academy. And it it seems like, you know, a nice natural sort of progression. Uh, But he was given the reins when Roy Hodgson was taken ill away at Aston Villa a couple of weeks back. Obviously, we ended up succumbing to a 3-1 defeat in that game, albeit in relatively controversial circumstances. Um, I'm not sure that the hierarchy will be completely sold that he is the right man in the long term. But at the same time, you know, I I look at Kieran McKenna. Obviously, he's an extremely attractive candidate, given what he's been able to do with Ipswich across the last 12 to 18 months. And, you know, his whole managerial CV seems to be very upwardly mobile. But I still, regardless of the fact that we obviously reside in the Premier League and we've been here a decade and, you know, we are, I suppose, an established Premier League club, I still feel as though he will probably want to stick around at Ipswich, particularly if they get promoted. Uh, and, you know, with that in mind, and, and it's something I've sort of alluded to on my own podcast over the last couple of weeks, the beauty of Roy Hodgson is that because he is a manager who is very much in the autumn of his career, we aren't ever going to have him poached by a top club because it just wouldn't happen. Whereas when you get a manager like Kieran McKenna, with the best will in the world, you know, we are a stepping stone to him because he would have designs on making it to a European regular and it would be a case of us potentially only getting a year or two from him. And obviously, you have to accept that as a football club of our stature. But I can understand as well that if Roy Hodgson was open to another one-year extension at the end of this particular season, that a hierarchy wouldn't want to write that off purely because of his age, because ultimately, he's an incredibly reliable, steady man. And if you look at what he's been able to do in terms of stabilising a football club following on from Patrick Vieira's departure with two-thirds of the last season gone, it is quite remarkable. I think we're sixth in the table uh, since he actually came in, which I'm sure everyone, whether they're a Palace fan, a Forest fan, or just a neutral, will accept his incredible feat. Particularly, you know, so many people stereotype and pigeonhole him and, and suggest that he's, you know, just this dinosaur. But I often say, there's a 50-year age gap between he and Roy, and you wouldn't know it in terms of the performances that he's able to get out from him. So, 
he is a pure football man. And whilst I wouldn't expect him to sign another one-year extension, I wouldn't write it off if indeed he is open to the idea of it. Well, he's still got plenty of fight with him after seeing him have that scuffle with Max Lowe <laughs> earlier Lowe, in the yeah. season. Yeah, an ex- First day of the season, he was going to square up. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it's good to see life in the old dog, isn't it? But, um, exactly. Having seen you on uh, James Alcott's ripple effect, uh, Dan, I'm not sure if you've if you got asked this, I couldn't remember actually, but um, with us being nearly, nearly 10 games in, you could say, if we're including cup games, we, we are kind of 10 games in. Has the departure of Zahan, Zaha benefited you in any way? And if so, who's been like that? I know as is the obvious answer, but has anyone like kind of out of the blue kind of took that role upon themselves or is it hard to tell yet? And maybe is Matthias Franzer going to be that kind of guy once he's up and running? I mean, obviously the hope is that Matthias Franzer comes in and, you know, takes the league by storm, you know, rips people apart with step-overs and scores 30 goals in his <laughs> debut season. But, I mean, at the same time, I'm trying to temper my expectations because he's a Brazilian teenager, new culture, new league, new tactics, you know, new language, whatever you want to call it. In terms of replacing the hole left by Zaha, I probably sound like something of a broken record to people that have heard me speak on podcasts over the years, but I genuinely don't believe there's a way for anyone to ever replicate what Wilfred Zaha offered to Crystal Palace because he was lightning in a bottle. You know, someone that grew up down the road, someone that took the club on his shoulders so often, kept us afloat pretty much single-handedly across two or three years and really enjoyed that sort of pantomime villain role. You know, even (laughs) against Manchester United for Galatasaray in midweek, he scored, cupped his ears at their fans. He just enjoys ag. And and, and that in itself is something that we love him for. But with that in mind, that sort of special alchemy that you get with Wilf, I'm not sure anyone's ever going to do that again, because you can look at Michael Elise and his sort of, standoffish presence or the way that Abiraeze will glide on the ball they're not quite Wilf you know he's a unique character so to try and sort of I don't know put a square peg in a round hole and and look towards a direct replacement for him was always going to be impossible and that's exactly why we never actually greenlit his sale in the first place because no amount of money could ever actually replicate what we what we would be losing with his departure and you know I think Really, the only thing we can be truly happy for, given the fact that he's moved on, is that it potentially has given a pathway to the likes of a Jezreel Raksaki, maybe in the fullness of time to come and make a name for himself in the first team, but also to prove to ourselves as a football club that we can be stable in the Premier League without him. Because there was always this part in the back of your mind where you felt as though when he left, would we just crumble? But that hasn't been the case so far. Although I would argue... That is largely probably down to Roy Hodgson and the sort of calming effect that he has on the entire football club. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home advantage of McDelivery. You win? 
Order now on McDonald's app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, the, the only thing I could, I mean, I can't really compare it because Brennan Johnson didn't stay at Forest as long as Wilfred Zaha stayed at Palace. But I, I guess you can kind of compare it to that. Whereas like, we've like hung on to him for a bit longer, managed to get 50 million and then and then recruit quite well. So the proof will be in the pudding at the end of the season, whether we progress or not, whether that was well, the right imagine, move. Imagine you'd had Brennan Johnson for 10 years in the Premier League and never known whether you could survive without him. Yeah, yeah, that's basically what we had to contend with this summer, which is why the £200,000 a week contract off of a 30 year old who was injury prone went in, and everyone outside the football club said that's financial suicide, and everyone mm. inside the Palace bubble said we don't care. <laughs> that's know. fair enough. Um, how pleased have you been for Aberitier? Is there Mark Gurhey getting? England call-ups in the recent, well, in the last international break, and then obviously Eze's going to miss out now on this next one, isn't he? So, but how how, ple- how pleased have you been for, for those guys? It's obviously fantastic whenever your club gets players who get international recognition. But you know, from an England point of view, there's always been a, a sort of inferiority complex that exists with Palace fans as to whether or not our players truly get the recognition they deserve. I think in both Eze and Gay's case it was you know, undeniable that they, they should be involved because an Ebbs is obviously a unique case because of our beautiful years on the ball and, and you know the way that he plays. I don't think there's a single neutral that would argue he doesn't deserve a place in the England squad when he's fully fit because he's capable of doing such incredible things. But Mark, I mean, I say it all the time, of all the players that we've brought in since 2020, Abire Eze, Michael Elise, Chet Decore, Mark Gay, Joachim Anderson, whoever... He is the one that I would be most loath to lose because I don't think anyone outside the Palace bubble, maybe other than Swansea fans who had him, of course, on loan for that season prior to him joining us, realise how good Mark Gay is. You know, he's he's a Rolls Royce of a centre-back in every single sense. And despite the fact that he's only 23 years old, he's a genuine leader. I'd give him the armband now. You know, he pretty much is the captain, even though out of pure respect to the longevity of his time at Palace, is Joel Ward. I think even Joel would argue that they're sort of joint captains on the pitch. And the one thing I would say about Mark is, I mean, obviously he started both international games over the most recent break. Unfortunately, he picked up an injury at half-time in that Scotland game. But whenever I've watched Palace players pulling on an England shirt before, I watch it with a sense of trepidation trying to make sure from my vantage point on the sofa that they don't do anything wrong. But as soon as Mark was on the pitch, I just knew that he wouldn't, that he has such a ridiculous level of confidence and he's so assured in his game that I was completely calm with it. And I think, you know, I I'm, I have no doubt that in the fullness of time, everyone will realise how good Mark Gay is. But, you know, mm-hmm. for now, he is still something of a, a well-kept secret from a Palace fan's point of view, because I honestly think he should be starting as the first name on the team sheet from an England centre-back perspective for the next five or ten years, at the very least. I, I discovered him on, on FM a couple of seasons ago and was like, and then I, you, know, you, follow, you kind of follow people in real life, don't you? And obviously Steve yeah. Cooper had him at Swansea. So I think you'll know him very well. Obviously played in the same team with Gibbs White and, and Callum Hudson-Odoi, who are all going to have a lovely reunion at Sellers on Saturday evening. So that'll be fun. But I, I generally think... Eze and Gurhi are like top six players in the next yeah, they are. year There's or no two. Doubt, so, so, so that's going to be hard to replace them eventually. But you'll get like ridiculous money for them. So that that'll be good, I guess. Um, 
Is it a good? T- I know you. I know you kind of already mentioned it. Is it a good time to play Palace, even though you've come back from a really good win at the weekend? But because of all the injuries, is it kind of an opportunity to to get at you a little bit, or or would you are you still quite quietly confident? It, it's a tricky one. I have to admit, I'm a, I'm a naturally pessimistic football fan. Normally, when my <laughs> mates say to me, you know, what do you reckon today? I'm always like, well, you know, we're probably going to struggle to get past them because of this or that. And I actually said on Monday to a group of my mates, don't worry, we'll do Forest. And that's <laughs> never something that I normally come out with. And then within 24 hours, the news came out that Epi Reyese was out for six weeks. So that would teach me for feeling confident at any point. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I can't say for sure, but I know the way Roy Hodgson works. And with Epi Reyese being absent from the starting eleven, he will still be looking to obviously win the game on home turf. No disrespect to Forrest here, but it has to be viewed as a winnable game for us at home. But doing so with a tactical framework that is as solid as a rock. I I would imagine and I believe that um, Odson Edward is now back in the first team fold after he's been suffering with a hamstring issue. I wouldn't be at all surprised if we go 4-4-2 against yourselves with Mateta and Edward up front. It worked uh, against Aston Villa, albeit you know, we ended up uh, losing that game away from home. Uh, but with Abireze no longer there, the five-man midfield can be changed to a four-man midfield and it, it sort of negates the need for a number 10. I would argue that possibly that means we're a little bit more blunted in terms of our attacking play. But if you've got two front men up there, then of course it does change the dynamic somewhat. So maybe we won't be as formulaic in terms of the way that you would view Palace from an outsider's perspective and it might be a little bit different from a tactical point of view but I'm still I wouldn't say quietly confident but I don't think we'll just you know fall apart because if if there's one thing Roy Hodgson is it's tactically disciplined and he will have drilled the players all week long in a Abireze's absence to make sure that we go into this game this weekend knowing exactly what the assignment is. Yeah I mean if, if anyone listened to our pod from from the weekend, I mean, I was really frustrated because we played a Brentford side, which I saw on paper as probably their weakest Forest have played for years. So this kind of falls into that sort of similar category for me. But we'll soon see. Obviously, being an away side, you can't always. It's it's always going to be tricky, especially at a, a place like Sellers. But where do you see Palace finishing, Dan? Do you, what, what's your hot take for the season? Would you say as well? It's it's tricky because it sounds boring. But I can't really see us anywhere other than between about 15th and 11th. And and Mm -hmm. that might sound a little bit defeatist. But I think, you know, for me, and and this is no disrespect to the three teams that have been promoted, but you look at them, you look at Everton, possibly Wolves, possibly Forest. I, I think we are, you know, probably at least better than five teams in the league, particularly if we're fully fit. But at the same time... The top half of the table has been so disrupted in recent seasons with the likes of Newcastle, Brighton, Brentford, Villa, you know, to go with your archetypal elite clubs. I'm just not sure, as we alluded to in the early part of the podcast, you know, in terms of strength and depth, that we will be able to challenge for a place in the top half. So I don't think there's any disgrace in saying between 15th and 10th. And I I don't think it's going to be far wrong. I, I think, you know, it's what frustrated me so much about the cup game against Manchester United the other day because I think that the squad, when it's even two-thirds fit, is more than good enough to be a Premier League side regardless of what happens. So I wanted us to really have a go at the Cups this year. 
because, you know, Roy Hodgson's got this one-year contract and I'm sure he would love to go out with a bang. That said, you know, he obviously prioritised the, the Premier League game and it worked out in the end because we got the clean sheet and the three points. But it is going to be, ultimately be, unless we have some sort of ridiculous run in the FA Cup, just to finish in that five-position place. And, you know... <laughs> There comes a point, I think, from a football fan's perspective, and you don't want to sound spoiled or as if you're entitled, but when you've had a decade in one division, you'd love to have a go at the Cups. And with that in mind, you know, I put it this way, if I was going to be really, really optimistic, I'd say something like 12 in an FA Cup semi-final. But, you know, for now, we'll stick with 14th and going out in the third round. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I said at the start of the season, I said to a few few friends that if we're like brushing shoulders with yourselves and maybe a Brentford kind of I, yeah. I'd say that's a good season for Forest. so uh, yeah I expect Palace to finish in that kind of region it's very championship-esque in my opinion in, in, a, in a sort of weird insulting way but you know we'll, we'll digress but what's your thoughts been on Forest so far this season if you've managed to see anything I mean, I find I find Forrest quite an interesting prospect because, I mean, I, I think I said it to you last time I was on the pod, there were plenty of people, you know, when you first arrived in the Premier League, it was unexpected in many people's minds and there was such a high turnover of players. But I always had genuine faith in Steve Cooper as a coach and I felt as though he would get the balance right and the alchemy of that squad right. And that proved to be the case because, of course, you secured mathematical safety. The last game of the season was against yourselves at Sellers, wasn't it? So, you know, that was a party atmosphere for your fans. And I think you will be saved for the drop again because I think when when the going gets tough, if indeed it does at any point this season, you will get the results necessary. I actually fancied your boys to get a result against uh, Brentford in terms of, you know, all three in your most recent games. That didn't uh, come to fruition, obviously, for uh, reasons that we won't go into now. (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, it, it, I just think you are going to be a very solid Premier League outfit under him. And and that shouldn't be something that is sort of dismissed or just accepted because so many clubs... I mean, look at look at Burnley and Vincent Company took the championship by storm last season. And even though they've won last night away at Luton, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to have an easy run of it. And, you know, that that ability to win promotion and then stay in the Premier League in your first year it's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And I, I genuinely think that the feat that Steve Cooper pulled off with Forrest and what he probably will do again this season should be looked upon as a genuine success. And I, I think he will do that quite comfortably. Nice, fair enough. Um, what what do you, what can Forrest expect from Palace then going into Saturday? Do you think it's, like you say, going to be that 4-4-2? Is it going to be, should, will Palace be looked to be on the front foot or do you think you'll kind of maybe try and lure us in? I mean, it's obviously difficult to know without the presence of Eze in the side because he has been that key attacking, you know, jewel in the crown. But, you know, we will be resolute. We might make it more of a dogfight. But we, we do still have, you know, I, I don't want to talk down our players too much here. Like Will Hughes, I know he's got a certain history with Forrest. But <laughs> if anything, that will make him even more up for this game. You know, oh, yeah, 100%. a situation where... He doesn't necessarily get a guaranteed start most weeks anyway. I believe Jefferson Lerma is edging towards a return to first-team action. And with the international break coming, you can pretty much guarantee that once that's out of the way, he will be back in the first-team fold. So Will Hughes will really, I assume, look towards this game as an opportunity for him to really make a mark. Cech Decore is an incredible defensive midfielder who's got it all. 
Jordan Ayew, incredibly underrated. Uh, I would imagine he will start and be a key to Roy Hodgson's tactical setup. And as I say, if, if Odson Edward is back and fully fit, then we probably will go with both he and Gianfilippi Matessa up front. And that can cause chaos because you don't often see Premier League these Premier League sides these days going with two front men. It, it feels like something of a sort of bygone era move that to go to your archetypal 4-4-2. But I mean, if you actually look at the numbers that JP and Edward have put up together this season, it's been incredibly impressive. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily write off our chances, uh, but at the same time, you know, the loss of Eze is undeniably a major blow and hopefully one that doesn't cause us too many problems. Yeah, it's a throwback. 4-4-2. Football goes round in circles, doesn't it, Dan? It's, it's, <laughs> I mean, I mean... <laughs> Pep's trying to play five up front these days, so you know that's that it is happening. So um, yeah, the, I think I think the atmosphere will be good on Saturday. Although I don't think you'll hear ninety minutes of waka waka this time. No, thank round, God. So. God. You know, <laughs> the first ten minutes, I was like, "Fair play to him," and then on eighty-five, I was like, "Do you think they're ever going to stop?" Like, no, no, no. It's it, we once we get what once we know one song, that's all you'll ever hear. Like that's yeah, why you yeah. hear magic on and off the pitch every home game because that's all everyone knows. But um, who do you fear from Forest uh, in in this game? Who, who do you kind of think like when they're going to get on the board, and you're going to go for? <laughs> well, it, it sounds it sounds like a bit of a cliche, and I don't want it to come across that way. But I genuinely think that your team are the definition of a cohesive unit. You know, I, I don't particularly look at one individual at Forest and think, well, there's the key man. And if anything, I would actually say that is something of a compliment because it means that you... I mean, we used to have it in our first few years in the Premier League once Wilfred Zaha returned. It was a case of trying to isolate him. And if you did, you snuffed out the Palace problems. But I think you do have different tools that can hurt a team. Uh, with that in mind, I wouldn't necessarily want to nail it down to one particular individual. You know, as you mentioned, the loss of Brennan Johnson is quite a seismic one, but I think it's credit to Steve Cooper and the squad as a whole. It hasn't necessarily impacted you and you're not necessarily sitting there at the foot of the table worrying about the loss of such a key attacking threat. So, yeah, I, it might sound like a bit of a cop-out, but I wouldn't nail my colours to the mast and, and name one man as the key problem for me going into this game. Yeah, cool. Uh, last couple, Dan, uh, before I let you go. But what's your lineup prediction and a score prediction? I will go with uh, Johnson in goal, Mitchell left back, Gay and Anderson in the centre, Joel Ward right back, uh, Jeff Schlup probably playing on the left hand side, unfortunately. Uh, will Hughes next to Chet Decore, Jordan Ayew on the right, and then Edward and Mateta up front. Archetypal 4 4 2, no surprises. And I will go with a 2-2 draw, I think. Oh, Desmond on a Saturday night. But uh, and then be, <laughs> before before you go, before you go, Dan, um, I think away supporters will will enjoy this one. But what's your pub recommendations for for a travelling red? Do, do you know what? I'm not actually sure what the official oh. the official away <laughs> pub is. I know plenty of Palace pubs, but I wouldn't want to be chucking those out because you'll end up getting turned away from the door. I think there's one. <laughs> There's one on the roundabout. I think it's the Weatherspoons. As you go towards the White Horse Lane, I know right. that won't necessarily mean a great deal to you. In, in fact, if you want, I will find the name of the pub for you after we finish recording this. Send it to you, and you can put it in the description to the podcast if you want. We'll, because we'll I think that. that is where away fans drink. But obviously, I don't frequent these places because <laughs> why would I go in there? So yeah, of I will course, try and find the name of that pub. I believe it is a Weatherspoons. And it is on the roundabout 
next to Whitehorse Lane. But as I say, Nottingham Forest fan, unless they are a Croydon native, I will not know what I am talking about. But yeah, I will no. endeavour to find that for you now. Oh, thank you, Dan. Um, and then obviously, uh, Dan, before you go, if you want to plug your pod or your Twitter, then then feel free to do so. I know many people follow you anyway from a Forest point of view, to be honest. Your, your stuff's flying about everywhere all the time. Well, that's lovely to hear. But yeah, basically, <laughs> if you type in HLTCO into, into Twitter, into Google, into YouTube, into Patreon, uh, they will all come up. I do a podcast on Palace every day. Not that you would necessarily be interested in listening to that as a Forest fan. But I also <laughs> do one on general football Monday to Friday, covering everything from the Premier League, League One, League Two, the Championship, as well as uh, Spain, Germany, Italy and France. And the YouTube channel, uh, which started at the beginning of 2023, has a video going up at least once a week on different topics across the game. So if you're interested in hearing my views on any of that, uh, please do consider giving me a follow there. I may well even cover Forest. You never know. <laughs> Brill. Thank you very much for your time, Dan. Um, we'll see you on Saturday night at Sellers. No worries, mate. Looking forward to it. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage of McDelivery. You win? Order now on McDonald's app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.